towards the end of the book of John, the writer will tell us that Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, but that he's written down a few particular ones so that as you and I read about them, we may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in his name, John says, we might have life. The signs that John is talking about, I'm sure many of you are familiar with them, right? Jesus will heal a blind man. He will heal the son of a a soldier. He will um, heal a paralytic. He will feed the 5,000. He will walk on water. He will raise Lazarus from the dead. But before he does all those very uh, easily identifiable miracles... Those life-changing miracles, before he gets into wiping the death clothes off of Lazarus and helping someone see, before he gets into that life-saving stuff, he goes to a wedding. He's, he's been invited, his disciples have been invited, his mother, at least part of his family, has been invited, and they go to this wedding, and you know how weddings are. I've seen the shows, I hear some of you, some of you want to celebrate, the others you want to know. I can't believe they decorated this way. <laughs> Where do you think they got that food at, honey? Mm. Did you see what she was wearing? Mm. I don't know what's wrong with these girls these days. And did you see the groom? I can't believe she's marrying him. Mm. There was probably a little bit of that going on, but at this point in the wedding ceremony, the celebration, well, John doesn't call her Mary. He just calls her the mother of Jesus. In John's book, John's gospel, that's the way we know her. She leans over to Jesus and says, they done run out of wine, boy. Can you believe this? I don't know that she really said it that way, but she happens to notice that all the wine's gone. Now, I want to be careful here, right? (laughs) But just understand that a Jewish celebration, a Jewish wedding without wine just doesn't cut it. Okay? And apparently, ain't no party like a Jesus party because the Jesus party don't stop either, y'all. Amen. Mary leans over to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. His initial response is, why would I care? Why do you care? My hour has not yet come. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about, you know, hour like some of us watch for that 12 o'clock hour so we can get out of here and go eat lunch, right? Amen. That was a gift. But he's talking about the time when his hour will come for his glory to be revealed to all. (laughs) But you know how mama can be, right? Jesus, they're out of wine. Mama, I ain't got to worry about that right now. Neither do you. Boy, be quiet. Come here. She calls the servants over. And she says, um, 
Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, I find this part of the story so interesting. John doesn't fill in a whole lot of de- details. But I have to wonder if at some point Mary's there and Joseph's there and, and Jesus and the brothers and sisters, maybe some cousins came over. And I kind of wonder if, you know, she, she wanted to serve them wine one time, but she didn't have any. And Jesus says, hey, mama, don't worry about it. Look what I can do. And there's wine for everybody because she seems to know. That he can do something about there not being any wine. It wasn't like she was saying, hey, go run down to Walmart and pick up that stuff in the box for everybody. No, listen to him. Everything he tells you to do, he's going to do something pretty miraculous right now. She seems to know that he can do something. God, I wish more of us knew that Christ could do something. There were, John says, six large jars, 20, maybe 30 gallons each. That's a pretty good sized jar. Would you would you agree with that? In fact, Elda was worried that I was going to figure out how I could bring 160 gallons of wine here to church. Um, And I told her, don't think I didn't think about it. But if you heard what John told us, there were six of these jars. These jars, they weren't just any old jars. They weren't Tupperware jars. They weren't um, just any old thing they picked up from the dollar store. These were jars that had religious significance. Purification rites. That's what we use them for, John tells us. But John tells us something else about the jars. Do you remember what John said about those six purification jars? What were they? What were they? If Jesus has to tell them to go put water in them, what were they? They were empty. I kind of wonder if John is... Telling us something. That sometimes we, maybe even our religious life, is empty. Oh sure, we know what those jars are there for. Uh, We probably borrowed some for the neighbors in case we needed them for that part of the wedding. Uh, They served an important part, but right now they stand there empty. Almost useless. John Wesley once said that his greatest fear is that the people called Methodists would turn into a dead sect. That we would just be a small group of people whose religion is dead. Whose faith is empty, I think. It's interesting, as Jesus says, you know, what business is mine? I don't have to worry about this right now. You don't either. And I kind of wonder if, if Mary's thought was, well, if you don't worry about this right now, who will? If you don't worry about the emptiness that is standing right before us, who will? Jesus tells the, the servants there to fill each of those jars up to the brim. Not halfway. Not as much as one of you can carry, but make sure it's completely full. Did I tell you about a Jesus party? 
Once it was full, he tells them to take a spoon of it, a serving of it, and go bring it to the chief steward who's like, I don't know, he's like the best man. He's the one running the party. He says, hey, take a drink of this. That's some good stuff. Brings over the groom and says, man, let me tell you, a lot of times I go to these parties and you know what happens? They bring out the stuff and that when the good stuff comes out, it's done, it's over with, and then by the time everybody's um, not like they were before, <laughs> then they just bring out the junk stuff because they don't even know the difference. But not you. Man, you brought out the good stuff. Wow. <laughs> Something about saving the best for last. There's a, there's a movie... I saw it once, and I love this line of the movie. It says, um, it'll be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. I love that. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus has done here. Saving the best for last is something that God has prepared. See, we've gone through all of these ages and generations of our religious faith. If we are Jewish people, we've heard from the prophets. We've heard now from the Pharisees and all these kinds of people. And what we see is that, man, we have become dry. But right before us, we have the image of God. We have Jesus here who fills us. Who fills us to the brim. To show us that the last is here and it is good. It is God. Save the best for last so that as we can see in Christ that God has given us this great gift for our lives and for the world. And this becomes the first sign that Jesus does. Now, I'm sure his disciples are thinking, man, we're going to have a lot of fun with this guy. (laughs) That was a joke. Yes, okay. He doesn't do anything else with wine miraculously, apparently, but... But there's something else John says. Verse 11. John said, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. Now, some of us, we get a little uptight about this wine business and everything else. And we, we, we forget and we gloss over and we almost want to ignore that Jesus did this for a purpose. To reveal his glory. And because he did it, his disciples understood who he was. His disciples saw what he was trying to teach them. Even, even the servants saw. And that, and that, par- that um, parachuted his ministry on that he began to do other things so that other people could see his glory. But first we have now this idea... That Christ has filled these empty jars to the brim, has done something miraculous so that we can see his glory. Now, you and I, as people who follow Jesus, as Christians, as little Christ people ourselves, I need you to understand that everything you do needs to be done so that people can see the glory of God too. Your life is a witness 
to who God is. Say this all the time. If you've heard me say it, I'm not going to apologize because you're going to hear me say it again and again. You don't get to choose to be a witness. You are already a witness. The only thing you will choose is what kind of witness you are. You're either going to be a faithful witness or not. But you don't choose and say, I'm going to be a witness. You're here, you wear the little cross, you have the little fish on your car, you carry one of these, you do Christian-like things, you are already a witness. But what many of us fail to recognize as witnesses of the risen Savior is that our lives are supposed to show people the glory of God. You and I are not living our lives for ourselves. We aren't living our lives to make ourselves happy, to have our own fulfillment, to do all the things we want to do. What matters first to the Christian heart is to bring glory to God first. And we do that in everything we do. Oh, John, that sounds right, but oh, man, that doesn't sound like anything I can do. God wouldn't use anything like me. Oh, maybe you've had too much wine already. If you heard the word from Isaiah, oh, I love that reading where God says, I rejoice because of you. I hope you, you, have, that, you have that passage printed in your bulletin. I hope you will go home and read and reread that passage from Isaiah. And look what God says about you. We tend to believe other things about ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't know enough. I don't come from the right background. Uh, I don't have enough uh, education. I don't do this. I'm not as good as so-and-so. Blah, 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 blah. We tend to believe so much about ourselves without giving a thought to the things that God has already said about us. What God says about us is, I rejoice because of you. But then Corinthians tells us that God does something else. Knowing everything about us, knowing the kind of life that we have, knowing the gifts and the graces, knowing what, what pleases us, knowing the things that we're good at, knowing the things that come into our mind, knowing the skills, knowing the abilities, knowing every single thing about us and loving us anyway, God then activates the spirit in our lives. See, this is what we forget. One, we forget that our life is supposed to show the glory of God to all the world. The other thing we tend to forget is that it is God's Spirit who does that for us. God activates the Spirit when you and I decide to use the gifts that God has given to us to bring Him glory. It's not that difficult to understand, y'all. Do you have, a, you have something that you're good at that other people struggle at? That might be a gift from God. Do you have something that you are good at that only other people can dream about doing? Do you do something with your hands or with your voice or with your creativity that make other people say, wow, hey, guess what? The FBI calls that a clue. That might be a spiritual gift. Now, you take that spiritual gift and you don't just think, oh, I have to do this. This is how I make money. This is how I get a job. This becomes a way that you glorify God. Christians, I hope you will hear me say this morning, 
your life, my life, has been given to us so that we can glorify God with it. So I hope you will leave this place thinking about the places God sends you. Even a place like, ready for this? Work. (sighs) Did you know that at work, you can glorify God? At home, you can glorify God. At the checkout line, you can glorify God. On the golf course, you can glorify God. Anywhere you go, you can and you have been called to glorify God. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we see in Jesus your presence. And we give you thanks, Lord, that you are willing to walk with us. You are willing to walk with us, God. You are willing to stand by us no matter what. What we ask, Lord, is that your presence that is always with us would bring us strength and comfort in hard times, would help us to rejoice in the celebrating good times. We ask, Lord, that you would begin to teach us how to glorify you. Forgive us, God, when we have tried to glorify ourselves or when we have given our lives to other things that have nothing to do with you. But help us today to begin to live in a way where people can see your glory through our words and our actions and our attitudes and the way that we love you. Lord, give us the imagination to be able to see how if each one of us here lives for your glory, just how much this place could be changed in Jesus' name. Amen.